Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Dirt Podcast is brought to you with support from the Archaeology Division of the American Anthropological Association. Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And today's episode is sponsored by listener Shira. Thank you, Shira. Thank you. And Shira says, Hi, Amber and Anna. I'd like to sponsor an episode on archaeology and popular culture. What spiked my imagination as a kid was a book about the life of two kids in ancient Sumer uh, that I could never find again. And others where archaeology and archaeologists played a major role. And let's not forget our favorite Nazi beater, Indiana Jones. So I would love to have an episode dedicated to some of your favorite books or movies where archaeologists or anthropologists are the stars. So today's episode is dedicated to entertainment. How very meta of us. (laughs) Well, we're edutainers. That's true. Before we get into our picks, though, we wanted to share some excellent resources with y'all to help you get your paws on as many books as you need to get through your social distancing. Yeah. And in case uh, any of y'all were wondering about that book mystery about the life of two kids in ancient Sumer, librarians are on the case. Yeah. Because that was posted on Twitter and friend of the show, Elizabeth, also friend of us, but friend of the show, Elizabeth (laughs) was like, do you need a librarian? And then like... And we did. sent out the call, <laughs> librarians assemble. And I think where we are right now is that that book was in Hebrew. So the request has been forwarded to relevant <sighs> librarians somewhere on the Internet. So hopefully we'll solve that mystery. But listeners, hey, if you if you know what book that is about the life of two kids in ancient Sumer. So we have a multilingual cotter of librarians. We do. Oh apparently. I right? What a privilege. I love this Truly. so much. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, speaking of librarians and libraries, the first uh, resource that we wanted to plug, is that the word? Yeah. The first resource that we want to talk about is library apps, because if you have or can get a library card for the town or the region that you live in, you can borrow books online, often from a big network of libraries. So you have lots and lots of choices. And often, depending on the size of your local library, you may be able to even sign up for a library card online. So you can do this, you know, if you don't have a card yet, you can do it remotely. And then... The three apps that I've used in the past are Libby, Overdrive, and Flipster. So Libby and Overdrive are both just library book apps. They give you, with your library account, they give you access to digital versions of a gazillion books. But much like a library, you have to wait your turn. So if the book that you want is not available, you can't download it and you have your downloads for a limited period. I think usually it's two weeks, but you can also renew 
your um, your books if you want to. Do you have to return them? This isn't a joke. No. <laughs> Does it just like... It automatically... No, there's no fine or anything okay. if you forget. It just, after that period, it is no longer available to you. You can, if you finish the book, you know, in a couple days and you want to return it, there's an option that you can click on the book and say, return to library early. Okay. Um, and these, it, it's not like a one-to-one correlation of the books that are on Overdrive versus the books that are in your local library. No, right? often, no, there's actually a lot more because, okay. well, at least, okay, so this is based on my own experience because my, when I used, I still use Overdrive, but not very frequently anymore because, well, now I have time, so I don't know, maybe I'll get back into it. <laughs> but um, So mine was connected to the Boston Public Library network, which is really, really big. Right. It's a multi-library network. And so I had access to just whatever digital media they had. Um, and so that was, it was, it was anything. It was, there were nonfiction books, fiction books. It's organized by category. There are, you know, cookbooks, home and gardening books, anything that you could think of that would be in a library anywhere is digital. And usually, unless it's some kind of very obscure book, um, it should be able to find it. The question is whether it's available, whether someone else has it out, much like at a real library. So no, it's not exactly like physically going to a library, but in some ways it's better. Um, Certainly right now. Yeah, especially. There is something to be said for actually holding and reading a real physical book because, you know, one thing is if you're trying to read at night to fall asleep or something, looking at a screen isn't necessarily the best way to do that. But that said, it's uh, if you can't go out and can't get to your local library, uh, Libby and Overdrive are wonderful um, apps to kind of replace that experience for the time being, or at least substitute. Um, and then Flipster is basically the same thing, but for periodicals. So popular magazines, um, things like Rolling Stone and Discover and National Geographic and stuff um, are on Flipster. De again, depending on your library network, it, it works the same way through your library card. So whatever your library network has a subscription to, um, you should have access to those as well. So if you like to read magazines, uh, there's like, you know, people and Entertainment Weekly. Tra travel and Leisure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wired. Think, yeah, Wired is there. Um, I think Better Homes and Gardens oh, is on great. there. Um, uh, what's that one? Bon Appetit is on there. Great. Yeah. So- um, Name name five more. Uh, well, there's an- I, ah. I subs- I, ugh, I Sever. Know. No, Sever's not- Well, I don't know. Maybe. Well, it's dead to me after that mishap at New Year's. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> Amber had a bad experience with a citrus pie. It really set me up for 2020. But frankly, I feel guilty about that because I'm the one who said, here, do this one. No, there was a breakdown in, in editorial. Okay. Like, oversight with that one. Sever, you're on notice. <laughs> From something you published 10 years ago. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So listeners check those out. If you have access to, um, a tablet e-reader, that kind of thing, that is the one limitation. I don't think these apps are computer apps. Like if on your laptop, I don't think you can use them on your laptop. I think they are limited to e-readers and tablets and phones. So if you want, you can use it on your phone, but I'm not sure if reading on your phone is, um, you know, desirable, but Hey, if you really want to read a book. Yeah. If you want to read can. a book, read that's a, book. a way to read a book. Sure is. Um, another way to read a book is to 
read a book, like a physical book. Um, <laughs> to profound. And, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, and so just to, to sort of round out options that, that we've, we've got, um, if you want to buy books, um, we recommend uh, that you support independent booksellers while you do it. Um, mm, it doesn't have to be Amazon. I'm saying it. It really doesn't. You don't have to feed Jeff Bezos your money. Oh, man. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yep. Holding my tongue. <laughs> You're <Yes>. doing so <laughs> well. So if, if you want to, if you want to buy some books and you want to support independent booksellers, but you do want to stay in your house, uh, there is you can. Bookshop. Yeah. <laughs> So here's how Bookshop works. Um, Stores that are members of the American Booksellers Association can sign up to sell books through the website and 30% of the profits from those sales go directly to them. Um, It had been 25%, but it's increased to 30% because of fallout from the coronavirus. And it's Mm -hmm. very, uh, very well publicized impact that it's having on... Um, independent sellers of all kinds. Yeah. And so, um, folks may have heard about how like buy from Powell's books because Powell's books needs you sort of because Emily Powell wrote a very moving letter about sort of what's happening. Let's let's put that on the show notes along with all, all, by the way, listeners, all of these resources will be up on the show notes. So you can just cruise over to our website, thedirtpod.com and see everything there and uh, get yourself some books. Yeah. And so, um, so you're saying like, uh, 30%. Uh, well, that's actually pretty great considering if they sold the books themselves, um, they would be making about 40 to 45%. But this way, Bookshop handles the entire fulfillment process through a wholesaler. So they don't right, have so to have the do... inventory in stock. They don't have to have the people yeah. there um, like fulfilling the orders and things. So this is this is a huge lift for you. Those corporate speak. I'm sorry. Um, for <laughs> this is a this is a, a run that a, up the flagpole. See who salutes it. Um, uh it's this is really great for independent small independent booksellers yeah. because some of those stores only have a handful of employees and this is a way to um keep them open and keep them alive um in general with the amazonification of of print media mm-hmm. um and so this yeah. is this is a great way to do that so if you want to buy if there are books that you can't if you're in a position to to buy books and there are books that you can't get through Libby or Overdrive, um, but you just really got to scratch that book itch, um, <laughs> we really recommend Bookshop. Got that book itch. It's uh, transmitted through bookworms. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's not gross, though, is the, the National Emergency... <laughs> The National Emergency Library, which is a collection of books that supports emergency remote teaching, research activities, independent scholarship and intellectual stimulation while universities, schools, training centers and libraries are closed. That's the blurb from the archives of the National Emergency Library. But I learned about it um, from a very charming New Yorker article. Um, that somebody posted on Facebook. And I just want to read this excerpt because I loved it so much. So this is um, from that article in The New Yorker. 
Meanwhile, not to be sneezed at is the sheer pleasure of browsing through the titles. Quote, how to succeed in singing. Interesting facts about how spiders live. An introduction to Kant's philosophy. Those are all from 1925. Nearly all the books in the collection come from the last century or so. I looked up Proust, which brought up 448 titles. You can read Beckett on Proust, or Bloom on Proust, or just on Proust. I found about 100 more books about moose, mainly children's books, including a Dr. Seuss book, Thidwick, the Big-Hearted Moose, but also an illuminating natural history from 1955, North American Moose, the first comprehensive book of its type, by a curator from the Department of Mammalogy at the Royal Ontario Museum. Oh, that's so, fun. Yeah. And I now I just want to do that. I just want to go and put random keywords into the search and see what pops up. I think it will please me. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to you want to get into our picks? Yeah, let's get into our book picks. And I just want to point out to listeners, there's going to be a significant <laughs> difference in the tone between my picks and Amber's picks. And I think I think that says a lot about our both our individual personalities. And, and, and including that um, one of your picks <laughs> I threw across the room. <laughs> And was like, this is crap. <laughs> Wait, which one? Oh, we'll find out. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I will say these are my picks because either I really, really loved them or I found them entertaining. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. So no, this is... <laughs> there, I'll, I will make that distinction. But I just want <laughs> listeners to be aware that there's going to be not a dichotomy, but... Something. A distribution. I thought you just left. <laughs> no. Just silence. <laughs> no, my brain left is what happened. It's just like there's, I think it just says a lot about where we go to seek our escapes brain wise. Okay. So I'll, I'll start. Okay. <laughs> is this the one you threw across the room? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so my first one is a series and I have um friend of the show, Rachel, to thank for introducing me to this series many, many moons ago. Yeah, she was my she was my roommate for a while in, I know. in Philadelphia. And so uh, at one point I was just, I had run out of another author's works that I was reading and I was just kind of like, eh, I don't know what to read. Um, and she recommended this and they're fun. So this is the Elizabeth Peters series of mystery novels. So Elizabeth, Elizabeth Peters is the one of a couple pen names of American author Barbara Mertz. And these are the Amelia Peabody novels. So that's the main character. So I have an excerpt from the wiki page on um, on this series. There are 20 books in this series. So if you if you pick up the first one or, hey, start in the middle, I don't know, and you enjoy it, there's there's plenty more for you. Amelia Peabody is first introduced in the novel Crocodile on the Sandbank, set in 1884 and published in 1975. So it spans from 1975, I think, to like 2006, maybe 2003. It's a long, prolific output. Amelia Peabody. Are they all written by Barbara Mertz or is it a, okay, so it's it's not a. No, it's all the same author. It's It's not not like the. Jack Reacher guy that oh, yeah, no. his um, son took over. Yeah, no. Okay, it's not like that. Nope. Okay. As far as I know, no. Um and this this excerpt really kind of sets the tone, I think, and explains a bit why Amber threw it across the room. Yep. 
She is the spinster daughter of a reclusive scholar who left her to deal with practical issues such as shopping and administering the household while he spent time in his office. He nurtured her scholarly interest while the rest of her immediate family dismissed them both. Following his death, Peabody's devotion to her father was rewarded with her being named sole beneficiary of his substantial fortune, blah, blah, blah. Partly in order to escape the attention of numerous fortune-hunting suitors and relatives begging for money, she embarks on a tour of classical sites, beginning in Italy and moving on to Egypt with the eventual aim of visiting Palestine. While in Rome, when in Rome, she rescues a young woman in trouble. Evelyn Barton Forbes, who, whom she hires to be her companion. I feel like I should switch to, in Egypt, the pair encounters is the she, Emerson Breton. Is she British or is she American? British. She's British. Okay. Which is why she inherits her fortune in pounds. No, I... Right. No, I just, I get this genre confused. And yeah, so, so it's, it's very... Because this very, is also very much like the plucky American. Yep. Who, well, it's, this and, is a yeah, plucky but no, British she's, lady. She's British. Okay. Yeah. Great. Which is why I hear it in this. In Egypt, the pair encounters oh, the Emerson brothers, Radcliffe, an archaeologist, and Walter, a philologist. Over the course of the novel, Walter pursues Evelyn, resulting, spoilers, resulting in their engagement by the book's end, I while mean. less overt, the relationship between Amelia and Radcliffe develops towards their own marriage. So then, you know, the series progresses from there and weirdly in these people's lives every regularly every couple of years there's a murder or some other kind of mystery or intrigue and it's set over the course of um the beginning of world war one and um i don't know it's just it's a bit silly but it is entertaining now amber why did you throw it across the room Oh, uh, I threw it. Well, okay. So I really, really dislike the like plucky, not like other girls heroines in stories because I think that they, um, I find them anti-feminist from like my feminism. Like they're very like second wave. Like Mm -hmm. if she were, if she were feminine, that would be, um, a flaw yes but yeah, oh no she's she's feminine she wears dresses but also she could beat someone with a parasol <laughs> exactly yeah. um and and that makes that makes her distinct from others um mm-hmm. the i don't like romances that are born of somebody hating the other person oh that's right which I is forgot that that happens arguably hypocritical on my part but <laughs> it is but it's like that that it's somehow like he's he's worn her down and like proven his metal um and also i find it um deeply orientalist in a way it that is, it, it is, is not yep it's very colonially and it's something that is um it reminds me a lot remember that book that i told you i mean this was like two weeks ago i told you this um i read that novel when I was trying to read about other people talking about Gertrude Bell in, in fiction yeah. mm-hmm. and it was, there was a plucky American that mm-hmm. she was like, and she met all of them. And Gertrude Bell was very much characterized as the, as a bit of an Amelia Peabody. Uh, but it was also very tropey and very Orientalist um, in a way that I find like I, I read, I read the book. I was like, I'm gonna see this through, um, <laughs> and 
Um, and when we get to my part, I'll explain why I subjected myself to the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because, um, mutual friend and friend of the show, Rachel recommended it, um, uh, <laughs> because hers, her recommendation came with a huge caveat, mostly being, yeah, yeah. I think you'll hate it. <laughs> and she knew why. And she was right. Um, but it's something that people will say, oh, we're trying to make it historically accurate that it actually was this racist at that time. Um, There's a difference between historical accuracy and like loving it, (laughs) just like loving that you get to describe local Egyptian, like working class people the way you did. Um, And I So Barbara Mertz is a, um, she has a degree in Egyptology from the, from the University of Chicago. And so she came up through the Oriental Institute. And I don't think it's a coincidence that somebody who, who graduated in like the 60s, 70s Mm -hmm. from the University of Chicago Which still has an Oriental Institute. Which still has the Oriental Institute. (laughs) Uh, I think that I think that people are kidding themselves when they love this story and then also are Egyptologists because like Hmm. you like it. But I'm not calling you out. No, Uh, no, no. All I was saying like you know, you know. You yeah. know that type of person who I do, yeah. Hashtag not all Egyptologists. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I recommended this series is mostly because well, okay, so she's a good writer. Can, yeah, and like, we can a, we can call it kind of a an exercise in recognizing these things. Right. Um but also they're just very diverting. You know? Like if you're aware of the, the things that we, we place a caveat on and just sort of want to immerse yourself in this particular world and then come out of it and be like, ooh, that's kind of racist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's they're good stories. And, uh, you know, they come from a very particular mindset. I guess that's just something to oh, be aware of. Goodness knows. I and our listeners all know that I spend a lot of time uh, distracting myself with things about conspiracy theories and... Those are all deeply racist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So like. To each their own. Yeah. yeah. But it's no, it is. It is. um, Check them out. It is very uh, distracting. Yeah. If you hate them, throw them across the room. Don't read them. There you go. Yeah. It's a they're very cheap in paperback. (laughs) Yeah. That said, if you're reading it on Libby or Overdrive, maybe don't throw them across the room because that's probably your phone. Smash that return to library button. (laughs) Yep. Fire your tablet into the sun and <laughs> call it a day. All right. Uh, I think you'll have an equal amount of problem, but maybe less problem with my next choice. I think just because I haven't read it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think you might actually. Well, I don't know. I don't anyway, know. It, um, it's by one of my very favorite fantasy authors of all time, L. Sprague de Camp, who is very much a product of his time because he he's writing in the ooh, 60s. 50s and 60s, maybe. It's his real name, L. Sprague de Camp. Pretty sure. I don't know yes. what the. I don't remember what the L stands for. I looked it up at one point. Uh, th- that is his real name, and um, the book is Lest Darkness Fall. Mm. Uh, I know. Uh, and the summary begins thusly. 
Archaeologist Martin Padway is visiting the Pantheon in Rome in 1938. A thunderstorm arrives, lightning cracks, and he finds himself transported to Rome in the year 535 CE. And so the book, you know, it progresses from there. And it's kind of like a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, where you have someone from future times who mysteriously finds themselves um, transported back somewhere and uh, makes the most of their future knowledge and blithely sets about <laughs> altering the timeline. Oh. Um, well, he, I, I'm going to leave it there. I want you to read it and I, I kind of want to see what you think. Um, okay. It's, it's, a, it's a short book. It's relatively short. Um, Elsprague de Camp is a really interesting writer. Um, yes, there is, you know, some of the, the foibles of the fact that he's writing from several decades ago make their way through his writing. But I don't know. I just, the way he sets it up, he's he's a very um, he's almost simultaneously cynical and just really um, in love with the past. So That's it's nice. it's it's a it's a cool book. Um, what what was happening in 535 CE? The Parthians. Um, um, <laughs> what was going on? Rome kind of. Rome wasn't doing so hot. Wasn't doing so hot. Yeah. So the lest darkness fall, he gets there and he's a classical archaeologist and he realizes where uh, he the, is the and dark what ages time. Are yeah. What time it is. And he's like, ah, hmm. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So okay. it's, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting book. I'll put it that way. I really okay. liked it. Um, I haven't read it in years. I should, I should dip back into it, I think. So Elsprague de Camp, also a really, really great fantasy writer. Um, his Complete Enchanter series is great, but that's not archaeological or anthropological. So that's for my other podcast that I don't have. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then my final pick is truly maybe the best archaeological book ever written. And it's very, very close to my heart. And it's Motel of the Mysteries by David Macaulay. And David Macaulay... He's the how things work guy. Okay, so he's the one the that way did things the, work. So yeah. um, I have a book of his, I think, on Romans or mm -hmm. the like city. or like Roman machines or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. He's an author and an illustrator. Yeah. And so, okay, I'm familiar with his illustrations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so Motel of the Mysteries is an illustrated book, and it's for I, it's it's um, I think it's geared towards like kids and young adults but it like going back and reading it as an archaeologist is really really good uh, because the premise is some kind of catastrophe has befallen earth and future archaeologists are going back and they discover um, the remains of a cheap motel and they go about excavating it and interpreting the things that they find and it's lampooning the way that archaeologists interpret the archaeological oh, record. It's so funny. Like they um, they find the toilet seat with the wrapper on it that says sanitized for your protection. And they conclude that it's some sort of ceremonial um, chest piece <laughs> and sanitized for your protection is the ceremonial chant. And so they like, there's an image of the archeologist, like recreating this ceremony, like wearing a toilet seat and chanting sanitized for your protection. That's the thing that really stuck in my head. Ah. <laughs> um, it's just, it's so good. It's so good. And the illustrations are great. Is this for younger audiences or is it one of those things that it he just created age. and it, Oh, 
don't it know. It appeals to everyone. Uh, you know, is I think it's like Pixar movies where it's like it's created for kids, but like the jokes in there are also for the parents. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. yes. Okay. Talking about Elizabeth Peters, that reminded me that I think you were talking about yes. um, murder in Mesopotamia, the, yeah. the Agatha Christie book, and she was married to an archaeologist for yeah, quite so some time. Agatha Christie was married to an archaeologist. It's why she spent a lot of her time in the region, like mm-hmm. in Western Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, and murder in Mesopotamia is not so loosely based on <laughs> what everyone wished would have happened to this lady that was there. Um, I don't know if she, I don't know if she was the spouse of, of one of the other excavators. She or was just there. If she was an employee yeah. like of the dig, but she was just awful. <laughs> and so murder in Mesopotamia is about a woman who is murdered. And, and so she just like, it, it's the ultimate, like, the novelty mug that's like, watch what you say or you'll end up in my novel sort of situation. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm also not, I'm not a big Christie fan. I'm not a big mystery fan. T-B-P-H. Yeah. Um, and, and that's uh, okay. Yeah, no. And, and that's, that's fine. Um, I will... Speaking of Amazon, I will definitely watch that Amazon show with Rufus Sewell in it. That is an Ag- it's from an Agatha Christie oh. property. I don't oh, know. Okay. But I'll watch it and I'll probably be like, I'm bored. But <laughs> Click. Uh, it's Penny Dreadful <laughs> coming back. <laughs> Not soon enough. Mm. Um but yeah, so Agatha Christie um was oh, I think I I think I heard this from a professor who also worked with all of them because he was a million years old, hundreds of years old. Yes. <laughs> um, and so you got so like old, <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's a fun one. So that, that's yeah. some, that's an entertainment that prominently features archeologists, <laughs> man. And listeners, if you haven't ever done this, just go ahead and look into the time that Agatha Christie just straight up disappeared. For a while, she yeah. went missing and no one knows what happened. I think there's actually a, an episode of Drunk History about it, which is how I learned about it. So my my facts about the story are mm, secondhand drunk. So <laughs> I don't know, but, but yeah, wild. It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. 
Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Anyway, Amber, how about your picks? Okay. <laughs> nice. Seamless. <laughs> I'm um, a professional. <laughs> yeah. So my picks. Um, so when we got this request, when we when we got this um, letter from Shira, um, I was really excited because <laughs> it just so happens <laughs> that my favorite book ever is one of is a relevant book here. Um, but it also gave me an excuse to dig up one from my childhood. What I teased earlier about when a friend of the show, Rachel, recommended Mm -hmm. um, the Amelia Peabody series to me, um, I, as everyone who has come within 10 feet of me knows, um, I'm finishing a novel right now. Writing Um, one, you mean? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm finishing possibly dozens of novels. (laughs) Yeah. If, if I'm going to take a quick survey of my apartment. I just um, wanted to clarify because yeah. I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I um, I am a writer, um, um, possibly one day an author. Uh, and so I, I'm writing a novel and it is about an archaeologist. The, the protagonist is an archaeology student. Um, and so when I first started this project, um, I wanted to have a a better sense of what has been said about archaeology in fiction, in media. And I asked for recs from friends and sort of my wider network of um, examples, examples that they could think of, things that they that really struck them or that taught them something or that they hated. Uh, and I got a lot of recommendations. Um, and... One of them has made it to this list, but um, Amelia Peabody was was one of them. And Rachel was like, I think you'll find it like really essentializing and othering and off putting. And I was like, I did. Um, And then (laughs) I got to moonwalk out of a couple like Facebook fights (laughs) with people who were were like it's so good what are you talking about it's just historically accurate like she the the author isn't racist and I'm just like "Ah!" (laughs) like, I gotta go (laughs) and so I just like bounced um because I I think that it's the product of its of its time and her background and where she got that background and I think it says a lot about I think it says a lot about the discipline, um, but it wasn't what I was looking for. But I, you know, I read it and I was hoping that I was going to find something like f- fun and fun for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. But but that's fine. Maybe yeah. it's fun for. Yeah. So that's so no no shade on anyone who, who finds no, no, it. No. But, so you had recommended um, Motel of the Mysteries at that point, And I took like I made a note of it to read it someday, but not read it for the reasons that I was reading at yeah, that time. Yeah, yeah, no, because I had a very specific funsies. research question. Yeah, um, and some of the and so <laughs> anyone wants to hit me up sometime, I'm happy to talk about my views on archaeology 
sort of in general in fiction, because there are a couple really incredible books. Um, there's one in particular. So, okay. Compass by Matthias Ennard. Um, Compass is its is the English translation title. Um, I did not read it in French because I can't. Um, it is an incredible book that's Je about a, um, it's a story that's told in semi-stream of consciousness about, um, it's a story told by an ethnomusicologist who works in, really in like in Syria and like in the Levant, but he has, he sort of is an Orientalist. So he works sort of in the region and there is a, there's a minor character that comes and goes who is an archaeologist and the way that this character is portrayed and his work is characterized is scathing. And <laughs> is and it based just, on a real person? Um, it's definitely based on a real discipline. Like, <laughs> so, so like the work that he's doing. So it's like the work of a French archaeologist who's okay. coming into the region and who has his dig. And it's very, it, it does this. Oh, he, he's an extremely talented writer. Um, uh, kind of, a, it's, it, it's a, it's a tougher read. It's it's really dense. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very literary, literary novel. And so that's why I'm still talking about it. So I guess I'll include it because uh, I didn't have it on the list. But it's one of my favorite novels because it is so beautiful and it's so intelligent and it's so educated. <laughs> and it's just and so you have someone who remember what I said about the differences. in our Yeah. Day. Yeah. <laughs> for research <laughs> I know but because you have someone who just has so much going on in their brain mm-hmm. and they're making it relevant to their own life and they're seeing themselves in their work and they're seeing themselves in other people's work and and that's something that I think a lot of people who um, engage with the past in a research way um, do mm-hmm. I think a lot of them find themselves doing that um, and so that it's one of my but this is just a sort of a minor, a minor character. But something else that came of this research question, um, the same person, my friend Lydia, um, same person who recommended Compass, recommended um, Claire Cameron's The Last Neanderthal, which we've mm-hmm. spoken about before when we've talked about Neanderthals, especially when we've talked about Neanderthals talking. Um, but... Um, Lydia is also a, a, a novelist and so she knows, she knows Claire Cameron. And so she was familiar with this book and I think she, I think she had reviewed it. Um, and so I'm just going to, for those who haven't listened to those back episodes or who just want to know what this book's actually about, <laughs> since we keep talking about it, um, I'm going to read a description that I'm pulling from, I think the back of the book, but it's on, cause I can't find it in my house. Um, but on Google Books. 40,000 years in the past, the last family of Neanderthals roams the earth. After a crushingly hard winter, their numbers are low, but girl, the oldest daughter, is just coming of age and her family is determined to travel to the annual meeting place and find her a mate. But the unforgiving landscape takes its toll and girl is left alone to care for Runt, a foundling of unknown origin. As girl and Runt face the coming winter storms, girl realizes she has one final chance to save her people, even if it means sacrificing part of herself. In the modern day, archaeologist Rosamund Gate works well into her pregnancy, racing to excavate the newly found Neanderthal artifacts before her baby comes. Linked across the ages by the shared experience of early motherhood, both stories examine the often taboo corners of women's lives. 
Um, it's a very good book. I have read it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I think I had just read it. Like when I came to Anna's once, I came to visit and I was just like, you got to read this book. <laughs> Ever seen read this book? Where they hunt a bison and I cried. It made me cry. I was on a plane and I'm a plane crier, but it was so beautifully written and so it's visceral. It's very visceral and it's very sort of illustrative of what I could only imagine would be the experience of killing something so that you can survive. Yep. It's sort of like what it comes down to. Having never um, done that. Having I, never done that. And I'm pretty sure Claire Cameron has never done that. She is just she's a phenomenal writer. Um, and so I follow her on Twitter. I'll ask. If she's ever done that. You ever killed something to eat it? No, don't do that. Okay, maybe I won't. <laughs> maybe she'll listen. Hi, Claire. Love your uh, work. Uh, love your work. But that story, there is there are parallel protagonists. There's girl and then there's... Um, the, Rosamond. There's Rosamond, the archaeologist. Yeah. And so talking about sort of the taboo corners of women's lives, it's very much looking at sort of internal stories and like internal geographies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I find... It's just, it's an excellent book. So my, my next two are by the same author, mm-hmm. one of which is my fa- favorite book. Um, so when I was 14, I, I think I was 14, I read Michael Andarchi's The English Patient for the first time, and it changed me. And I remember where I was in my, my bedroom on my like soft pink comforter (laughs) like on my tummy with my feet up reading when I finished it and I remember finishing it and putting it down on the on the comforter and I picked it back up and I started it again because I had never read anything like that before I remember in your freshman year dorm room and possibly after that, you had a poster. I have a poster from the film. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a like a limited edition poster. I still have it somewhere here. Just put it back up. Yeah. Um, Because it it opened my eyes to this other sort of world. And so so Michael and Darcy is a poet and a novelist. And so he writes prose as a poet would. And so the way he constructed a story um, was like nothing else I had ever read. There's a reason why the Booker Prize has won its 50th anniversary. It gave an award to the best book of the 50 awards books that had been awarded and the English patient won it. I can't imagine what that must be like. But to be that good of a writer? Yeah. Yeah, I can't either. <laughs> this is not the this is not the time or the place to contemplate that, but yeah, wow. Um and so what it's so the English patient is up uh, to the eponymous English patient um is a burned man who is being taken care of by a young Canadian nurse um in a villa in Italy. So he's been sort of moved cuz he was in the um, Northern Africa theater. Um, and it's set during World War One. Uh, two. Right? It's two. two. Whoops. Um, Whoopsies. Yeah. yeah. It's too recent for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's set at the end of World War Two. And so there are four, there are really four parallel stories that are happening. But those, the subplot, well, the 
the biggest of the subplots is about the English patient who is in fact Hungarian and his name is Almashi. Um, Almashi is an explorer um, who works in Egypt and he, um, this is <laughs> relevant to an episode that's coming out later this month, the, um, the Green Sahara of the mm-hmm. African humid period. Green Sahara was a phrase coined by the real Laszlo Almashi. So he was um, a geographer and he worked with a team of archaeologists and, you know, just sort of your expeditionary types um, in the 30s. So in the 20s and 30s, he falls in love with a woman and it doesn't go great, (laughs) as you may guess by the story beginning with him being severely burned. And so he's so he's dying and he's on a lot of morphine for the pain. And so he's telling these stories and you're slowly putting together who he is and what he is. And he has this book of Herodotus histories um, that is that also works as a journal for him. And so he writes things in the margins and things because Herodotus talks about the stories of the Sahara being green at one point. And so that's sort of what's guiding him on. Um, and so this book is the reason why I studied Greek. This book is the reason why I was an archaeology major. Like mm-hmm. this, uh, this book like changed my life like completely. It is one of the most beautiful novels. It is the most beautiful novel that I've ever read. It is widely regarded as one of the best books. Um, the film. So says great. the Booker Prize. So I says mean, the Booker I, Prize. I believe it. <laughs> and I really, I recommend, I recommend you read it. Another of his books, this one came out in 2000, I think, Anil's Ghost, um, another Michael and Darcy book. And I'll just read the description from, um, this is from Wikipedia. Anil's ghost follows the life of Anil Tissera, a native Sri Lankan who left to study in Britain and then in the United States on a scholarship, during which time she has become a forensic pathologist. She returns to Sri Lanka in the midst of a merciless civil war as part of a human rights investigation by the United Nations. Anil, along with archaeologist Sarath Diasenena, uh, discovers the skeleton of a recently murdered man in an ancient burial ground, which is a, also a government protected zone. Believing the murder to be politically motivated, Anil and Sarath set out to identify the skeleton, nicknamed Sailor, and bring about justice for the nameless victims of the war. But Anil's Ghost is a really great book because it also deals with its um, Andarchi kind of working out some of his own identity because he is um, Sri Lankan Canadian. Oh, okay. Um, So his name is, it's a Dutch surname yeah yeah um, recognized because there's vowels so, in weird places yeah and so the the dutch colonized sri lanka yeah. and so his surname came about from there as you go with anil through this she's reconciling sort of the east and west sort of idea of like where she's from versus this very clinical North American settings that she's been in and and dealing with and and just dealing with civil war and with um, the instability of like there she's there are instabilities in all arenas for her through this story and the character the archaeologist character is written it, it, he's just such a there's so much pathos in his character mm. Andarchi does really amazing work with characterization and just sort of making people real. 
And and so at, so there's a little bit of a mystery element trying to figure out who Sailor was yeah. and and how that person got there. And so but there's also a lot of sort of there's there's also a lot of shop talk in it because she's a forensic pathologist. They hire a, a, a sculptor to reconstruct the face because they're trying to find out who he was. And so it's um, doing research, but doing archaeological research in a setting where the stakes are very high and moving and constant and immediately relevant to the people around them. Yeah, it's a it's a really, really great novel. Um, and then the last one is actually fun because I read it when I was little. And this was something that got me into um, this sort of got me into the past. Um, are you familiar with this book, The Golden Goblet? I don't think I am. I mean, I know, you know, I read a lot as a kid, but. Yeah. So uh, my, I don't know who this person was, but there was a person who came (laughs) to visit. I know I have a lot of stories like this from my childhood. There was a person, a woman who came to visit us. Traveler. (laughs) Yeah. Like she, she came because we didn't get a lot of visitors and stuff. Most of my family was in the same county kind of thing, but I don't know if she is a family friend or a family member or somebody but there was somebody who came to visit us and then after she left we got a package in the mail and she sent me a bunch of books and she had just sent me a bunch of novels like little like Did middle grade by a wizard I think so yeah I I just this like book this book fairy um and my parents <laughs> are like this is for you and so it was a bunch of like middle grades fiction and there was one about a girl who had to read the odyssey over the summer and so it was this girl reading the odyssey but she was like in middle school so she's reading the odyssey and like had a crush on a boy and kept like like it was sort of making the odyssey relevant to a tween and i still grade is my skilla and charybdis i yeah and i think about this book all the time i'm gonna have to like (laughs) climb into my parents attic and dig it out um but another one of the books that i i loved and i just read and reread was eloise jarvis mcgraw's the golden goblet it was first published in 1961 and received a newbery honor award in 1962 the novel is set in ancient egypt around 1400 bce and tells the story of a young egyptian boy named ranofer who tries to reveal an evil crime and reshape his life Nope, definitely um, haven't read okay, it. I would, so, I would remember that. So Ranifer is this kid who he works at um, an artisan shop, like a goldsmith's mm. shop. And he works there and his older stepbrother, where he has an evil stepbrother who mm. like takes care of him, but treats him poorly. So he like lives at his house because he's an orphan now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just like a, a gopher for the for the artisan shop. Um, he Ranifer figures out that his his stepbrother is part of a tomb robbing ring <gasps> because he finds a golden goblet that says something about Tutmos or something. Um, it's like it's something where he's like, "This is oh," and so this the <laughs> like eponymous golden goblet, and so he um, he makes these friends and um, they they try to get the grave robbing ring caught. And so this, the sort of impetus for this story is um, there was an excavation in 1905 of the tomb of Yuya and Tuya. 
Oh, I know um, them. I the mean, tomb had personally. been penetrated, but was mostly intact. And so the I'm reading from Wikipedia. So the the excavators were like, it seems like somebody tried to grave rob it in antiquity, but got stopped. And so this story Ha-ha. is was created by McGraw to to describe like, that moment. What what happened there? What yeah, might have happened yeah, there? Yeah, and yeah, so it's a yeah. story about a little boy who catches it the bad guy becomes a hero yeah and like the and the bad guy is the bad guy in his life and so it's it's a like a good little like it's a good story for kids yeah like i loved great. it um and so he's 12 so i'm assuming that this is like middle grades kind of stuff like that yeah, you'd be like right. nine to 12 because you always want heroes that are older than you if i remember correctly bit. just a little yeah. bit older but it's a really great book so if you know so if you like books for middle grades readers or if you know some some folks that like are 12 ish that yeah. would like to read a historical or book. at least read at a 12 ish level. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was. Yeah. She she sent a range. But like, but I don't know who this lady was. If you're that lady that visited us in like the early mid 90s, the dirt podcast at gmail.com. So I thought I'd, I'd hit it on a on a upper but yeah <laughs> um <laughs> let's take another very quick break and then when we get back we will briefly talk about the sort of movie and tv side of things This is Chris Webster with the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for Motion. With Motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and Motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com motion. Hey, fans of APN Podcasts, we've got lots of designs over at our Tee Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. Check out the high-quality t-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com shop. That's arcpodnet.com shop, and click on the link. All right. We are back. Um, so movies and TV. Now, Shira mentioned Indiana Jones and, and movies and stuff in what she sent us. So we've included this, although for the specific prompt, you know, in terms of archaeology and anthropology, movies and TV shows become more complicated because there's uh, there's the stuff we love to watch. And then there's stuff that is a good representation of archaeology and anthropology. And there is a ton of the former, and it seems almost none of the latter. So and Amber and I talked about this, and Amber, you were just basically like... I got I, nothing. Yeah. So I'm going to just briefly talk about some of my favorites, or at least some of the most popular stuff, um, with the understanding that these fictional archaeologists or anthropologists may in fact be incredibly bad at doing those things. <laughs> so one good example is Time Team, and that's pretty okay. It's a documentary-ish series. Uh, it's British. 
you can usually find episodes on YouTube. So you can steal episodes is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, you can. Yep. Mm. <laughs> Look, I'm sure there's a better way to get episodes. I just don't know it. Um, I've used little clips of it in my classes um, when I taught intro to world prehistory, which was, that's a heck of a class wow. to have in one semester. Yeah. It was like, you have one day. Do China. So... <laughs> So there was that. But um, Time Team is pretty good. Uh, and it's set in Britain and they go around and it's it shows archaeologists at work sort of coming up with the research questions, planning out the excavation, doing the excavation. And the thing that I really like about it is that they don't shy away from the thing that always happens, which is, well, we thought we were going to find this thing, but it's definitely not that. And now we have no idea what's going on, but we're going to try this and then we're going to try this. So it's it's it shows the whole sort of um, investigative process. Uh, and it really doesn't, you know, it doesn't force a cinematic storyline. It doesn't make them say, well, we found this and we've concluded this. It's sometimes the episode just goes, we don't know. <laughs> and I, I really appreciate that. And it's hosted by Tony Robbins, who's a, a British actor. He was in Black Adder and a bunch of like comedy stuff. He's very funny, but in this role, he's you know he's he's a real history buff. He's a real archaeology buff in real life, and um, in it's kind of cool to see him in this role, just like being an amateur, but someone who knows a bit about history and archaeology and who's really into it. So he's like explaining it to the audience, and he gets very like animated about it. It's it's fun to watch. Um, so Indiana Jones, great at punching Nazis, incredibly bad at archaeology. First of all, one of the first things he says in the movies is that belongs in a museum. It doesn't always belong in a museum. It doesn't always. Sometimes it belongs in the custody of the descendant community. Mm -hmm. Uh, he also never writes anything down. He never successfully acquires any artifacts like they always get shot up or broken or like dropped into an eternal pit i mean that's not that inaccurate i've just you know he um if if we're talking about adventure movies that are fun to watch and make archaeology seem exciting and and cool indiana jones top notch well if raiders of the lost ark last crusade yeah yeah, yeah. yeah let's leave two and four out of this and five. There's a five? There's going to be a five. Ugh. Which. Miss me with that. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Let's st Okay. So, for, yeah. The, and, you know, honestly, as I was talking about Indiana Jones, those were the only movies I had yeah. in mind. I sort of forgot <laughs> that it's a trilogy slash. There's there's young Indiana Jones with um, River Phoenix. I know. And that's. Uh, R.I.P. I know. And it's also a good book series. That's, oh, yeah? I, I didn't realize it was TV. I found the books at my library when I was a kid and read them and was like, wow. And there were photos in the books <laughs> like from the TV series, but it didn't. I didn't and baby Anna was like, dots. wow, cosplay. <laughs> no, I just was like, wow, they really, they really <laughs> illustrated this book. <laughs> Dumb kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, I mean, the point is, Indiana, the Indiana Jones movies, the Raiders and Last Crusade, they are great movies. Oh, yeah. He is a very bad archaeologist. He's also a pretty bad guy. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a cad. Yeah. So 
I'm just thinking about like from an ethics perspective. Oh, yeah. So something else that listeners should bear in mind is that um, there are a lot of people who claim that specific archaeologists are the basis uh, yes, the, for Indiana the inspiration. Jones. Yeah. So there's um, Robert Braidwood, who is mm-hmm. at Chicago. He was a he was one of the big American Chicago players. today is... Well, it was filmed at East Chicago. <laughs> no, I know. I just mean it keeps popping up today I know. in this episode. So, one of, so one, of the, one of the guys that... So he was one of the Americans um, that were one of the big early players in um, the archaeology of sort of greater Syria. So in, like Iraq we've, and the we've Levant. We've mentioned him before. I think maybe in the Hus- no, not Hassan. Um, we may. I think we might have mentioned him when we were talking about early bread. Actually, I mm. feel like he did some excavations well, that were relevant to that. Robert Breadwood. Bread. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Um, another person is uh, Wendell Phillips. Good name. Who? Oh, good name. Terrible dude. Um, <laughs> obsessed. I'm obsessed with him. Um, he's the guy who wrote Kataban and Sheba which is a book about his excavations because he fa- started a found, he founded the American Foundation for the Study of Man um, and got some Smithsonian money, mm-hmm. possibly just some Sackler money before it was Smithsonian money. Mm-hmm. Um, but he went to Yemen. And so he wrote a book about it. And in it, his one of the women who worked on the site gradually becomes the Queen of Sheba to him. <laughs> I don't like that. But you can, there's a, a tiny, tiny little um, kind of alcove at the Freer Sackler that is stuff from Yemen. And mm. so I like walk, I'm like, I was leaving a lecture and I'm walking down the hallway and I'm like, is that Wendell Phillips? <laughs> it's just like, can you go in this gallery? And I'm just like, well, huh, this guy. <laughs> this guy huh. and I just like there was nobody around because I just wanted to be like this guy's an idiot <laughs> like, can somebody come in here so I can yell this man is an idiot <laughs> All right. um, but yeah he's a he's also seen as one of the bases but there are a lot of people who are like yeah. oh yeah this this guy was the basis for Indiana Jones and it just seems like there were a lot of ethically dubious white dudes yeah with fedoras <laughs> alright well I mean we'll leave it at that um <laughs> An even worse archaeologist, Lara Croft. She's, uh, I mean, the movie is called, and the game is called Tomb Raider. We shouldn't raid tombs. Like, I'm going to just leave that there. That said, I loved that first movie. Did you see the new one? Yeah, it's very, very bad. Oh, the new one's really bad? It's really bad. Like, extra bad. Oh, no. Like, not to, you know... Oh I'm, no! I'm not. I'm not mad at any of like the individual actors. It's just a really bad oh, movie. How could you be mad at her? She's so pretty. Yeah, she's great. But like, oh, but it's a bad movie. Very bad. Well, you can watch it so that we nah, can both just okay. be like, I, I watched it on a plane, and oh, I probably would have wept. <laughs> you might. Uh, hey, the things know, I've just cried me. at. Okay, um, and then the last thing that I want to touch on is Stargate. Um, so it's a TV show. It's science fiction-y. And um, it is based on a lot of stuff that we have talked about that is harmful to archaeology and to many 
descended communities of historic and prehistoric uh, populations. But, you know, as a TV show, I, I watch it. It's silly and dumb. I don't condone those tropes. And whenever I recognize one, I yell at the screen. Um, but, you know, the characters suck you in. It's in a space adventure show. Uh, and then ancient aliens can go jump off a cliff. That's how I feel about that. It's real bad. It's just um, bad. I'm like too tired to the tell you show. How bad no, the show ancient aliens. Stargate the, is just like silly and dumb. Oh um, yeah, no, I. And there's like aliens and Atlantis and whatever. But um, when I formally dropped out of grad school, mm-hmm. um, the first two seasons of Ancient Aliens. That's how long this show's been on. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Um, were on Netflix and I was like, yeah, I'm going to like get drunk in my parents' house and like watch all this ancient aliens. I'm going to undo all that. Yeah. And like, how, how far did you make it in? Oh my God. I made like 35 minutes. And then I was like, I am more depressed than the depression that led me to drop out of grad school. <laughs> Just like, it's really is, bad. It's really bad. Like it's not, but it's not yeah. good, bad. No. It's just bad. It's just bad and harmful it's like and bad. Badly executed and harmful. Um, what's the word I want? Um, bad. Well, objectionable, but like should be, should be, what's the word? You're talking about reprehensible? That's the one. Yeah. Yes. They should know better and they're doing bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that's a weird note to end on. But um, this has been really so fun. So don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Don't watch <laughs> don't, Ancient Aliens. Don't, but it'll make you. It'll make you really depressed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what you can do is get some books. Yeah, go get those books. Watch those movies and those shows. Just, just take care of aliens. yourselves. Keep your spirits up, folks. Yeah. We're, like this. This is gonna. This too shall pass. This. Yeah, that feels really. A lot of people have told me that about things that haven't ultimately passed and so i try to avoid using that phrase i'll cut that out this this one no you can leave it (laughs) (laughs) but we're gonna get through this we are it it will it will end i'm sorry i'm really not good at being upbeat (laughs) but we'll be making episodes here in the meantime we'll be here for you in your ears Mm -hmm. and if and if you want to support us in doing that right now we and you can get so much more content you can join our family patreon donors for everywhere upwards of one dollar a month up um at patreon.com slash the dirt podcast but right now right now take care of yourselves right now take care of yourselves help your communities yep yeah if you're in a position to help us out awesome if not do not feel bad at all and if you're in a position to help somebody out but you're like choosing if you're hovering over the button oh no 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 no, between us and like mutual aid Nope. Smash the mutual aid button, please. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and also, you know, it. a way that you can um, support us without money is yeah. by telling your friends about us, by leaving stars and reviews at all the, the pod platforms that, that take stars and reviews. And that helps us honestly just as much, um, if not more. And we are also all over social media and more than ever now that we seem to have some time on our hands. Sure are. Um, so we've been posting a lot on Facebook and you can find us there at the Dirt Podcast. On Twitter, we are at Dirt Podcast and on Instagram, we're at the Dirt Pod. And all of that is as, lo- as well as 
all of our old episodes, including our first ever episode where we Yikes. talked about <laughs> we talked about some of this stuff. Oh yeah, uh, and people got <laughs> mad at you for talking about the mummy. You you disrespected the mummy. I disrespected the mummy. Um, I may have uttered some fighting words, um, <laughs> but yeah, all of that is on our website at thedirtpod.com. And guess what, duders? <laughs> We're online. We're going to be on Twitch soon. Yeah. So we are working on this. Uh, I'm a computer dum-dum and I am working very slowly to set this up. But what we're going to be doing is this when is, Amber... This has become... 2020 has presented adult Anna's photos, photo stills from the young Indiana Jones series in a novel. <laughs> I just like, How don't does this work? understand. <laughs> no, but... Um, if all goes well, and I'm hoping it will, um, we are going to, when Amber and I record, we are going to do that live on Twitch. And so uh, an hour or two before we start, I'll start setting out notifications on Twitter and Facebook and all the places where you can find us. And so then basically we're when going you to, notify me. Yeah. <laughs> that we're basically. ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then anyone who's around can watch the Twitch the Twitch stream and you'll see all the stuff that gets cut out in regular recording sessions. And then those videos are then going to be captured forever for posterity and posted for our Patreon supporters. So you can catch us live or if you're a Patreon donor, you can catch us whenever. In perpetuity. Yikes. <laughs> so we gotta remember, I got to remember to like shower before yeah. we record and stuff. Yeah. It's for you that we do this. Because uh, we have faces for radio. <laughs> and now faces oh, for got, the internet. You got a nice face. You got a nice face, too. Oh, thanks. All right. Let's take our faces off this podcast. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. We love and you. Thanks again, Shira. Yay. Books. Goodbye. Goodbye. Good books. Good books. <laughs> This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.